on today's Compassion Radio. Deanna is concerned about her brothers who are fighting. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to make a life here. Deanna said, I don't know if I have a home to go back to. Right. I would go back to Ukraine one day, but I don't know if I ever will. To be living in Poland and feel like, well, we just can't escape war even living in Poland. Looking at the news, I feel like that might be a fairly accurate observation. From the front lines of faith to where you live, this is Compassion Radio, giving you a front row seat to the adventure of a lifetime. We're glad you've joined us today. When the Hackett's saw what was happening in Eastern Europe at the beginning of 2022, they felt the Spirit stirring them to be ready for big changes in their lives. So they said yes and prepared their hearts for a new challenge. And then, crickets. Or so it seemed. No matter how hard they tried to go the extra mile, they just kept being sent back to home base. Why did serving in the kingdom have to be so frustrating? And what does saying yes to God really mean? Well, we'll find out together as we hear their story on the next two broadcasts. Remember, you can say yes right now to joining them in making a real difference for the kingdom, and I'll tell you how later in the broadcast. And now, to the interview. On Compassion Radio today, we're introducing a couple that have really done, I think, an admirable job of embodying and living out the things we say we're about at Compassion Radio, which is to be involved with and intentional in the lives of others, but not to do something to them or for them as if we are the only people that can do things for God, but to introduce them to the way God does things in his people. And that is by being a place of welcome, a safety, and a refuge. The Hackett's, Leslie and Max, welcome to Compassion Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We had an earlier discussion today before we started recording about how you got even involved with the idea of helping refugees in your own hometown. And it wasn't because you were intending to do this. It was because it was was like the plan C after all the things you told God you were going to do. So Mm -hmm. tell me, first of all, if you don't mind, uh, I'll start with Max. When you started thinking about ways you could be involved with the issue of the war happening in Ukraine— You had a plan in mind. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, I absolutely had a plan. So I am a nurse practitioner. I work in Spokane, Washington for Providence Medical Group. And even pre-COVID, I was led to go on a medical mission. Awesome. Well, COVID happened. International travel stopped. Yes, it is. And, you know, uh, so fast forward, somewhat post-pandemic. I felt called that in 2022, I would go on some sort of international medical mission. You know, December, January was rolling around and it was very likely that there was going to be some sort of crisis in Ukraine. Right. So practicality came in and I thought, oh, well, I'm likely going to be going to Ukraine or, um, you know, uh, Eastern Europe to help. And then the war started. I exhausted every possible resource wanting to go over there. A little background on myself. I was eight years in the U.S. Air Force. I was deployed to the Middle East as a younger man when I was single and no kids. Mm -hmm. So going to a war zone was not a deal breaker for me. Mm -hmm. However, I did not necessarily want to be on the front lines. I'm Mm -hmm. married with children now and just it just that was not the situation I felt called to be in. Unfortunately, it did not seem like I could find any organizations that were actually sending medical personnel over there as a group. Uh, All of the people I had met or things that I had read were medical professionals who were going over on their own accord 
on an individual basis. One colleague of mine, Dr. Kyle Varner, young single doctor, flew over there, went to the Ukrainian border, showed them his papers saying that he was an American doctor. And they said, yep, we can use you. Yeah. <laughs> and then we started working and he had a experience. Yeah, so the backstory on that one was that at that very time, I was heading over to Romania as well. And I had gotten in touch with the Spokesman Review newspaper over there in Spokane and had talked with those who were actually getting ready to send the reporter to go join that doctor over there. Yeah. So we were corresponding as we were both traveling him through Poland into Western Ukraine and me around the borders of Moldova and Ukraine on the south side of Romania. So it was an interesting chapter for me too, kind of following their progress while they were getting in country and how awkward it was for them knowing this was kind of like the seat of the pants for everybody, including the news media. Yeah. So that door closed hmm. for me to be able to go over there. Again, I wanted to go with an organized group mm -hmm. and the circumstances did not exist for me to be able to go and work on my own accord. Then that left me in the situation where I said, well, God, feeling called to help the relief, but I'm not going over there. I thought that's what you wanted me to do. What's the next step? Yeah. There's your pivot right there. So, Leslie, while he's dealing with his frustration at not getting the opportunity, and you're praying along with him, you've already said how much you are of like mind and heart when it comes to praying for the things that God would bring you for opportunity. You go to church, and suddenly <laughs> there's something right in front of your face that breaks you. What was that experience? Yes, there's a wonderful family, a Ukrainian family. They've been in Liberty Lake now for a couple years, and that particular day, they were called up. War was just starting. And our pastor asked if they could pray, specifically her, if she could pray for Ukraine. And she did. And she prayed in Ukrainian. Which you're not really all that familiar with. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm sure most of the congregation had no idea what she was saying. She's crying as she's praying. I think most of us were crying. I know I was just tears as I resounded amen to whatever she was praying for. And I was just shook to the core that, you know, here's a gal whose country is being destroyed and family, friends are still there. It shook me in a way that God said, so what are you going to do about this? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about what's happening and I would say just a couple weeks prior, I was talking to a coach of mine. I told him, life's easy for me. <laughs> I felt like I needed to say the dangerous prayer of like, God, make it not so easy. <laughs> that is and a dangerous prayer. Such a dangerous prayer. I remember that conversation. And he's like, just think about what you would do if you said that prayer. Like, mm. make my life not so easy for the glory of you. Two weeks later, and here we are at the sermon, and I'm just shaken from just her hurt, and it made me have the same burden for this country, and it led me to ask, what am I to do about this? Hmm. What am I going to do? And so I did. I started praying about how I could help the relief, and I contacted her because she was very involved in sending things and getting donations and all of that, yeah. and she texted me back in application. She said, here are things that we need, what's most needed. Second text, what's most needed are host families. I said, thank you very much for this information. I will pray about it. And so I did that. Usually famous last words. <laughs> yep. And so I felt like it was our role as a family 
to host a family. It didn't feel right to just donate money. It didn't feel right, even though that's a wonderful thing and a great cause. But for our particular family and in our season of life, I felt like God wanted to do more. And with the young children in your house, you were in a frame of mind of a certain kind of solution. You were going to be the kind of family that could host a certain kind of family. So you kind of spill out this whole narrative to God and tell him the kind of people you're expecting to be hosting. And what, what did he say to that? Well, you know, I said, well, we have young kids, we have toys, you know, I think we would serve best a a mom and her kids or, you know, I I thought kids would be in the picture because, oh, well, our kids could play together. And that wasn't the case. The first call we got was actually for two young men. And we prayed about that situation. God actually closed that door. He gave us just wisdom and that that was not the right fit for us. Mm -hmm. So we had to trust that and pray that, all right, Lord, you've given us wisdom. We're trying to lean into this. Please bring the right people that you want. And sure enough, another call came of a family and we said, yes, okay. It was a mom and dad, a 12-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy, but they actually found a home the next day. So I said, okay. So your perfect solution just flew away again. But Lord, I thought that was it. I thought we were going to help this family. Actually, the next day, it was for a young couple. He was 25 and she was 21. And I said, yes, if they need a place, we are available. And that was the couple that God decided to bring into our home. So Sas and Diana were with you for about the full six or eight weeks. I wanted them to feel welcome, but not be overwhelming, if right. that yeah. makes Right. The first couple of days, it's always a little bit awkward knowing how much to help. And maybe they just want to be alone, <laughs> you know, yeah. give them a little bit of time and space to just breathe a little bit. So we tried to be wise. We told our kids like the downstairs is now a separate space. You are not to go down there. <laughs> You're going to pretend like someone else is living there and we're giving them their space. Right. And we always welcome them for dinner. And we yeah. said, whenever you want to join us. And they did sometimes. And then other times they didn't. They had dinner on their own. Once that comes to mind for me was setting a very positive example of Christ, not in your face. When these people came in, one of the things I realized, you walk into our home and it's very clear that Leslie and I love Jesus. Hmm. We have pictures up on the wall. We have just things noting that we are believers in Christ. But I did not know where this couple stood on faith. Or on yours. And I didn't feel like we needed to be overbearing. I think back to there's so many times in scripture where the Lord just brings rest for people. Mm -hmm. And that's where Leslie and I, again, God put us in the same place for wanting to serve these people the same way. Mm -hmm. We wanted to provide rest for them. You're talking about a spiritual thing as much as a physical thing. Mm -hmm. How many times do we not really enter into that rest? Our understanding of Sabbath now in Jesus has really expanded, and it should, because in the Old Testament sense of it, it had a structure, and had a limit. It was like a 24-hour period where things had to be a certain way, and when it finally gets perfect, then the end will come, was the attitude of many Jews across thousands of years. And then Jesus says, step into me, you've stepped into rest. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, however hard the job is you're about, you can still know this rest. You can be at peace and know that you're loved and you're safe in all the ways that really matter. So I appreciate the fact that you're saying that rest is one of the key virtues of the project you were embarking on, so it's to provide that place for them. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, 
and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at one 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. And now, back to our discussion. I appreciate the fact that you're saying that rest is one of the key virtues of the project you were embarking on, so it's to provide that place for them. How did they respond to it? They were overjoyed. (laughs) So as we talk about rest, you know, more than just a bed, more than just a bathroom with running water, okay, (laughs) more than just those physical things, rest comes in so many other forms. Stoss, he's a musician. You know, he loves playing the piano, playing the guitar. thought it was funny. The first icebreaker, if you will, in conversation was he asked me about American rock and roll music. There you go. Uh, He saw some CDs and albums, some vinyl records I had displayed downstairs on a shelf, and he just started talking about American rock and roll. Like, that's how he (laughs) had to just bridge a gap with me, right? And we were able to go on to Facebook, and we just projected out on some Facebook page, local Facebook page in Liberty Lake. Leslie said, hey, we have Ukrainian refugees living in our home. He loves playing the guitar. Does anyone have a guitar? <laughs> and we're overwhelmed oh, with wow. messages. And one gentleman came, messaged my wife literally within like an hour, I think. <laughs> cool. Said, hey, I have too many guitars. You need to come pick this one up. So let me step in here because just a really neat way that God just shows up in really cool ways. Yeah. I have a keyboard. So I set up his keyboard and he just starts playing and singing, had a beautiful voice mm-hmm. and can play so well. And I knew this is something is his passion. So he wasn't able to bring his guitar. I don't even know if he had a guitar. Mm-hmm. I think he did and he yeah. couldn't bring it. I said, you know what? Who knows? I am going to go on the Buy Nothing group and there's a Liberty Lake community page and I just put on there. Anyone have a spare guitar? I just wanted to see what would happen and you know, I prayed. I was like, Lord, I just pray for a guitar. Mm-hmm. And there was a gentleman who lived in Liberty Lake. And he said, yes, I'm a musician. I have a great guitar. And this guitar was beautiful. Mm-hmm. He put fresh strings on it. He gave it with wow. a case and said, I want to give this to him. Mm-hmm. 
And I was just blown away. And so we surprised him when they had come mm-hmm. back from working. We said, this is for you. And the look on his face, I don't even know if I could describe it. It pure joy. He lit up, he opened the case mm-hmm. and he just starts playing yeah. and he's just big smiles. And it was just so neat that something as simple as a guitar, maybe something that he used to do all the time and he hasn't touched it in weeks, he got to play. And so we just wanted to find a way to bless them. And then God just shows up like that. And it wasn't really any of our doing. Like, I just asked the question. I love the way you're saying that God shows up like that. Because when you read into the narrative here, it reminds me that God was there when he had to say goodbye to the thing he loved. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you hit the road as a refugee and you run. Very few things remain important to you when you're moving. And we saw plenty of those refugees coming across the borders into Romania during those first few weeks when I was over there. And the things they hope to be able to get back to, like children hoping to get back to their pets, their parents knowing they never will. The things they have to literally in their mind let die in order that you can live and go forward. Mm. Um, God was there. Mm. So he brought that to life in your friend. You have a friend in your neighborhood now that was part of this solution in helping your good guests, your new friends, your family from Ukraine mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. a new day for something that they love. I love that story. But I think, too, Max, it, it goes back to what you were saying about living out the gospel and not being, you know, overtly ramming things down their throat, but just in such a way, giving God the honor due him when something like this happens. And, you know, you say God showed up. Absolutely. And God showed up for this man, for Stas, in that simple gift of a guitar. You did have something to do with it. You said you didn't, (laughs) but you did have something to do with that. And God used your hands and feet for his glory in Stas' life. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Okay. If I can pivot now on the introductory part to the body of the relationship that came from this and what you learned about the situations, refugees in general, about your friends in particular. When you spend more time with them, I imagine they probably started talking more. You felt more brave about asking certain questions. So where did the relationship go once you got across the awkwardness and the friendship initial stage? What did you learn and how did that relationship grow? And what are the things that God called you to do that you weren't expecting to because it was going deeper? There was a few nights where we asked, you know, just to talk to, would you like a glass of wine? And I think it was those nights where we got to go deeper. We learned about their family and how did they get here? And we built that trust. And one step that we showed our trust in them is we left for a weekend and we said, you don't need to find another place to stay. You can stay in our home. And both Max and I felt comfortable for them to stay in our home. We wanted to show that we trusted them. Mm. That kind of helped instill that We trust you. You're welcome here. We want you to feel safe. We want you to trust us. And I think in that process, we had beautiful conversations. One conversation that was vivid to me was Stas asked me, he's like, you're always smiling. Why are you smiling? Well, you're, you're happy. He was able to help a buddy that has been here. He was doing construction. Deanna was cleaning a bakery in the evenings. Mm -hmm. So they were very busy. Diana was here during the day, but I always heard her on the phone. I could tell that she was calling people overseas. Mm -hmm. And so you could tell she was daily keeping up with friends and family who are overseas because she has two brothers who are in the war and her mother and father are there. She has a sister in Poland and then Stas's mother and father are in Ukraine as well. And he has a young, young brother who's 11 who's there. 
So she was on the phone a lot, calling, checking in, but they were always tired (laughs) because he worked construction all day. He helped her clean Mm -hmm. at night. That's where we're like, would you like a glass of wine? How can we help you? And we tried to keep the house quiet with our kids like pounding on the, you know, the downstairs, but they opened up to us. And going back to what I said, he asked about why smile and happy because he said, you know, I don't understand why you would do this. I don't understand why you would open your home to a stranger. That simple question just said, you know what? We want to share Jesus and we want to help. And if we were in your place, we would hope that someone would do the same for us. I can't quite remember the full conversation, but you can see he was processing what was happening and why it is we were doing what we were doing. So we developed a friendship and they've made us a Ukrainian meal one night and it was wonderful. (laughs) They wanted to make us something. And Mm -hmm. so I said, that sounds wonderful. We will have whatever you want to make us because they asked, what do you like? You make us whatever is something typical. And we would love to share that with you. I think another aspect you asked, how did our friendship progress? Mm -hmm. God helped us create a safe place in our home for them. I think of several conversations I had with Stoss. He was very open about some of the struggles that he had been dealing with over the past several weeks. A little bit of their background was, this conversation is in summary, but everyone in Ukraine knew that Russia was going to invade. It was just a matter of time. Stas and Diana were young. They had opportunity to get jobs in the European Union, in Poland and in Germany. And so they said the opportunity to get entry-level jobs in the European Union can then translate into better jobs in the European Union. Right. So they went there, they were working for over a year, and they're living in Poland, then the war happens. If Stas went back to Ukraine, he would be sent to war. Right. If he doesn't go back to Ukraine, then he's a coward. Right. Mm. Diana, you know, articulated it well when she said that they were living in Poland. There was U.S. military coming. There was French and British military coming. The border was being armed. All of these things were happening in Poland where it felt like war was coming. Mm -hmm. So she said, well, if we go to Ukraine, then there's war. But if we stay in Poland, then there's war too. Stas and Diana talked to each set of their parents and both sets of parents said, just go to the U.S. You have this opportunity, just go. Both of them have said, and this might be a political statement, but both of them have verbalized that within the Ukraine, while there's a lot of nationalism to fight the Russians and to defend their home, many people in Ukraine feel that until the West, until NATO really comes with more resources and troops and so on, it's just a matter of time before Russia might end up actually winning. Mm-hmm. That is what their impression was when, when they were talking to me. Anyway, Stas unloaded this on me. You know, he, yes. he said, he's like, so I. That's a heavy burden that, for him to carry. That, that's a heavy burden. And you um, can tell he struggled with that. Then Diana is concerned about her brothers who are fighting. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to make a life here. Diana said, I don't know if I have a home to go back to. Right. I would go back to Ukraine one day, but I don't know if I ever will. And to be living in Poland and feel like, well, we just can't escape war, even living in Poland. Mm. Looking at the news, I feel like that might be a fairly 
accurate observation. It's not an unreasonable read from the circumstance that they found themselves in, for sure. Yeah. Of course, we weren't getting exactly. much of the the ground truth coming from the other surrounding countries and how busy that activity was, like a like an yes. anthill. But yeah, what you're talking about in the sauce is something that is very akin to survivor's guilt, where you don't know why necessarily you feel guilty about things, but you know that if I had done anything different, I may not survive this, and my wife needs me, and am I a coward? What am I? I mean, some people that are displaced go through a whole long list of what am I's. Where do mm -hmm. I fit in? Why me now? Why was I saved or have opportunity when someone else did not? How did you pour life into them in that kind of confusion or moral peril that they were dealing with? I just felt like our job was to love them. I just felt like we were to just love them as they were and be a listening ear. You know, we downloaded a Google app as a translator in case we got stuck on some words. I feel like my role was just to love. Yeah. One of the ways I felt like I could do that, I mentioned that she cleans a bakery in the evenings and Stas would go to help her mm -hmm. because if one person does it, it would take her three hours. If two people do it, it would take her an hour and a half. So I said, well, what if I come too? So I went with them and I went, I was like, this is a much bigger bakery <laughs> than I thought. And she had me <laughs> mop the entire thing. And I knew what it was like to clean yeah. and do that kind of manual labor. But we got it done in 40 minutes. Awesome. From three hours to 40 minutes, just another simple way, me mopping a, a bakery just so they could get home earlier to rest. Giving them the gift of time. Yeah, just have more time. There's more coming up tomorrow with the Hackett's and their inspiring story of reaching out to Ukrainian refugees. I hope you'll join us then. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, PO Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445. Or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.